What's up, what's up, y'all? This is Dave. And this is Devin. And you're listening to the Dave and Dev Podcast. Dave and Dev. Gotta keep it real like Dave and Dev. On my job like Dave and Dev. Tell no lie like Dave and Dev. Some days I wanna stay in bed. But I get ready for the day ahead. I wanna complain, but I pray instead. Then I'm on my way to the Dave and Dev. And it go like, I don't need a crew. Don't play by he say, she say rules. Don't play, no, we can't do. I'd rather have faith while G-O-D make moves. So please stay cool. All, all I do is speak the truth on things I see they do. I'm a sinner myself. No lie, I need grace too. We lit like EKU. Yeah. Yo, what's up, Devrin? Yo, what's going on, Dave? Man, too too much to name, bro. Too much it to is, name. It I'm, is Selection Sunday. It's Election Selection Sunday. And in true petty diva fashion, Tom Brady needs to steal the show. <laughs> and makes it all about him. Listen, this man, Tom, cannot stay away. He, he was home for two weeks with those kids, and he said, y'all are too bad. I got to go back to work. <laughs> Fatherhood is not for the weak. It's, it's not. That's facts. That's, That's facts. the lesson there. He, he'd rather have CTE than be, than be a parent. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> well, listen, I am super excited, Devrin. We have the official, unofficial political analyst for the Dave and Dev show, Daniel Bennett, back in the hot seat with us. It's been a while, man. How are you? Yeah, man, it's been it's been a while. It's uh, been a busy year, uh, busy semester. Got one le- uh, one week left to spring break or until spring break, and uh, and then we're in the home stretch. But yeah, it's 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 going all right. Good, the faculty man. life is amazing. I'm on spring break right now, and I'm ne- I don't think I'm ever going back. Listen, man, <laughs> y'all make me feel super inadequate. Two professors, like man, right. I will say, Daniel, you're like. Twitter famous now. So, and you know what? Don't forget who whose podcast you were on before the fame came. That's right. That's, That's right. Give the credit to Dave and Dev. There's a causal mechanism there, 100%. Facts. <laughs> well, man, give us an update on life, your family, the book, everything, yeah. man. What's been going on? Yeah. So, I guess on the, on the family front, uh, you know, we got the, the three kids They're They're doing really well in school. They're all in the, uh, public school district here in Siloam Springs. And it's been a really good year for all of them. Uh, up until now, we've always had, you know, one questionable situation in terms of the teachers and the schools, but this year it's been fantastic for all of them. Uh, I was just telling you guys, before we got started, my son is the first, uh, person in our immediate family to test positive for COVID. And that happened just I don't know, an hour ago, <laughs> so, he, but he's all right. He'll, he'll, he'll be fine. And he's looking forward to getting basically a two week spring break at this point. True. Um, Play the yeah. Yeah, that's right. He's thinking, he's like, if I'm going to get it, I'm going to get it now. And he'll, you know, he's, he's not a big sports guy. I, I, I tell him, you know, if he was into sports, it'd be a great week to just watch March madness. And, but he doesn't care. Oh. Um, and uh, Caitlin uh, is doing really well uh, with the honors program here. Uh, she'll be uh, actually being serving as the interim director next spring while the current director goes on a sabbatical. Oh, wow. And so she'll get a step into that role. 
And I am really excited. Uh, I'll be uh, getting my, I'll, I'll be having a sabbatical in the fall. So from, from May until December, I'll just, I'll be writing and, and like you said, working on the book and, and getting that finished and I don't know, just taking advantage of life, I guess. Man, that's I mean, fantastic. I just want to get tenured. Now you're taking sabbaticals. I'm just one step at a time, I guess. I get, yeah, no, that's right. You, you're on your way. Um, but yeah, I've never had one. I'm super excited. Uh, it, 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 I'm going to miss the students, honestly. I like teaching, but man, this is going to be great. So we have a lot of, a lot of stuff to talk about. We got the big issues that we're going to, that we need to kick off with you today. First off, let's just talk, let's just start internally what in the world is going on within the united states in our politics right now <laughs> all right so the That's most immediate the most immediate thing is we have a supreme court nominee and so just let us know your thoughts on that yeah this is probably for for good reason the uh least covered supreme court nomination in recent history uh and it's probably you know other than the fact that there's a war going on in, in eastern europe uh, the fact that uh, Judge Jackson, Katanji Brown Jackson, is not really uh, going to change the ideological makeup of the court. That's probably why this is seen as kind of a pro forma confirmation process. Um, you know, obviously, she, it would be, it's going to be an historic confirmation as the first Black woman to serve on the Supreme Court. Um, she, uh, she will... Uh, continue the Ivy League law school's uh, stranglehold on the court as a Harvard law grad, yeah. uh, but really good, you know, good credentials. She clerked uh, for Justice Breyer. She's got, you know, that experience. She's a circuit court judge in the D.C. Circuit, um, not for very long, but uh, most recent Supreme Court justices haven't served in their appeals court pr positions for very long before they get tapped. Um, she's got the credentials. She's got, from all indications, she's got the demeanor. Um, this is, I mean, it's going to be a slam dunk. Uh, I, I can't imagine any, anything coming out of the woodwork, especially since she's, you know, already gone through this vetting process so recently, uh, under president Obama, when she was first named to the district court in DC, and then recently with Biden as a circuit court judge. One last thing though, too, uh, this is really strategically, uh, important for, for president Biden, because not only does he get to fill the Supreme court or vacancy, but then he gets to choose just Judge Jackson's replacement on the D.C. circuit. Mm. So it's kind of a two for one double dip situation for him. Mm. Uh, and the D.C. circuit is often seen as probably the second most important federal court in the country. So um, strategically, it's kind of a win win uh, for 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 him and the Democratic Party. Yeah, that's a it's pretty crazy to think like the first black woman on the Supreme Court. Like it's it's insane that it's 2000, you know, 22. And we're just now saying that. But um, yeah, it's it's wild to think about. There's something to be said, too, that, that there is value in symbolic representation of this kind of thing. Uh, you know, obviously, President Obama's election in 2008 was huge uh, for uh, political efficacy for for the black community having just trust in government when you see one of your one of your own kind of rise to that position. Uh, and so you think about, you know, young women and young black women in particular going into the legal profession saying, oh, it's actually possible to reach these, reach these levels, reach these milestones. It is kind of crazy that it's taken, you know, how many years to get there. Uh, but symbolically, it's a really, uh, it's a really big moment. 
Which yeah. it's it's so crazy because like I remember growing up and my teachers telling me you could be whatever you want to be, and then they send me this list of like forty three white guys and say like here's the president of the United States. Maybe you could be that one day. It's like, ah, I don't really think so. I don't think that's an occupation that. <laughs> and then when Obama was, he was campaigning, I was like, oh, wow, that, that is possible. Like someone can actually even get that close because I wasn't, you know, I wasn't alive when someone, you know, made, was making a serious, you yeah. know, shot at the, at the presidency. But then now, right. you know, having the first black woman, it's probably going to, she's probably going to get on. But now even thinking about it, I, I was thinking to myself like, oh, wow, shoot, we haven't had it. We haven't. I just never thought about it like that. And yeah, I mean, it, it, I mean, it is pretty, pretty incredible. And hopefully in 2022, we can get it done. Oh, yeah, for sure. Well, obviously, there, there's a big one here. We'll save the question for a few minutes later here. But well, <laughs> as we are in what the second, almost third week of uh, the Russian uh, invasion of Ukraine. Um, from a United States perspective, what are the the what is the war? What are the sanctions? What kind of effect does this have on on us as a country? Um, maybe politically, but also economically, of course. Yeah. So I think we are starting to to feel that that pinch. Uh, you know, certainly at, at a personal level, just whenever you time to go to the, whenever you have to go fill up your your gas tank. Uh, gas prices are really sensitive to the slightest fluctuation in the global market. And whenever you have, whenever you have a country like Russia, which supplies, you know, some of the, some of the oil to the United States, but also just a ton of the oil to the rest of the, uh, to the rest of the world, those sanctions are, are going to snap in pretty, pretty quickly. Um, we, we obviously, I know you guys are experiencing this, but we are too in our little town, you know, gases are gas prices are approaching $4 a gallon. Hey, um, hey man, it's, 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 it's heavy out here. Oh yeah. I'm, I'm starting to walk some places up. I'm looking yeah. at investing in a bike to go. Some yeah. 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 So that's, that's the, obviously when, how most people are going to feel it. Um, you know, some things get more expensive down the road in terms of certain techno technologies that require, you know, components from Russia or materials from Russia that they export. I think it shows too just the the reality of globalization and how much the world is inter interconnected and in trade, and we're, we've become so reliant on other countries. And this isn't necessarily a bad thing because it does make things cheaper for the most part. But whenever there's a disruption, you feel it. And so the challenge, I think, going back to like domestically from a from a political perspective is how is the Biden administration going to convince the American people that these sanctions where it's going to hit people in their wallets that, that it's worth it in order to stand up for Ukrainian government and democracy in that region uh, you know especially in the middle of a midterm election where you know his party is historically likely going to lose a lot of seats if, if it follows the you know past trajectories. So, yeah, man, it, it's it's uh, there's never a great time to impose sanctions like this, but this is really not a good time. And we'll see what happens. So I was going to say something on the globalization piece, because I was thinking those, that same thing where the last president that we had, he was more focusing on like America first was kind of the, uh, one of the slogans that he had. And then um, the Democratic Party has been more towards globalization, a global society, which I think makes the sanctions a little bit more effective. 
because all these countries can come together and unite against Russia to 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 make the sanctions feel even to make them feel even heavier on a on a, a single country. Whereas you know maybe forty years ago that would just be one country and trying to convince other people to to get along with it. So I mean, it, I, it's maybe it's twofold. Maybe is that kind of what you see? Yeah, um, it did have an interesting effect. The invasion did on almost uniting a lot of the more disparate Western countries. Uh, the EU, which had been kind of in, in sh- not shambles, but certainly on their own on their own issues for for a while, they quickly unified and and got behind these these sanctions. Um, the United States, of course, was was helping to lead that lead that way. Uh, I'd be curious to see if this was happening under a more isolationist or, uh, like you said, America first uh, policy. Uh, I guess we'll have to wait and see, you know, what that looks like. But um, you know, the, the the support for free trade goes back to you know, the 80s and 90s, it was certainly more popular among Republicans and conservatives from an economic perspective, just thinking that it would make stuff cheaper for Americans here at home, right? Uh, countries trading more openly with each other, lowers costs. The trade-off from President Trump that he really latched onto was what about the jobs that we lose in the process that are just cheaper to outsource to other countries? Um, and so it shows the complexity of the economic system. It also shows the complexity of just the international relations system of how do we maintain these alliances with countries when there's a lot of other issues at stake? Uh, there was some news about President Biden reaching out to Saudi Arabia and even Venezuela potentially about kickstarting some of their oil production and, and relaxing sanctions on Venezuela, a country that has had you know its share of <laughs> uh, no. an- antagonism towards democracies, right? <laughs> The socialist. So it's like, no, yeah. we can't trust the socialist. Yeah, it's just like you're gonna you're gonna have to make a deal with a bad actor, right? So it's just a matter of which bad actor do you want to deal with. Um, I don't know how long this will go on. I mean, it's only like like you said, two and a half weeks, three weeks in, but um, it, 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 it look it's looking more and more like this is going to be a long occupation. And so, just is curious to see what happens. Are we headed to World War III is what the people want to know. <laughs> um, I, I hope not. Um, I've been reading some articles uh, from folks who know a lot more about this than I do, and it's kind of depressing. Uh, okay. David French had an article in The, the Atlantic just recently talking about um, how the longer this draws out from a Russian perspective, the likelier, it's not saying it's likely, but the likelier that Russia could start to use or consider using their tactical nuclear weapons on military targets, which are lower yield, but still incredibly powerful. It would uh, set a, you know, a much more dangerous precedent. And uh, that would certainly be, I think that would probably change the equation a little bit for a lot of policymakers here in the States. I think the other, the other question is uh, if there's an accident or a miscommunication between the Russian military and targeting, you know, a country, you know, a location on the border of Ukraine, like Poland or something, and that ends up striking somewhere in Polish territory. What is what does NATO do in that respect? Yeah, that, that's the most dangerous situation um, in terms of actually leading to a global war, which could not. It has the potential to end very, very poorly. Right. Oh, 
That's during the Cold War, right? There was never formal confrontations between the United States and Russia. I mean, there were we were on the precipice a couple of times, but um, we're in a really dangerous position here. It seems like. Yeah, that's a. uh, It's just been such a crazy thing to see. I mean, uh, you know, for, I mean, for really all three of us. I mean, you had the early 90s, you had some, you know, conflict that we were involved in as a country. And then obviously, you know, 2000s were in Afghanistan and Iraq and uh, different places like that. But this just feels so different to me, I guess. Like, I, I think, too, because of the the magnitude that is Putin uh, and, and the, the person that he is, uh, it just feels so much different. Uh, like, like, I feel like it's a lose lose scenario in, in all aspects of it. You know, what's the weird thing, Dave, about that whole thing, though, is that like for the last six years, we have been so divided as a country, but almost unanimously what we can get united on. what well, most people, separate people like on the fringe is that Putin is a bad guy. Yeah. And that's kind of it's 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 weird. And it's another depressing statement to say but war in a weird way unites people like absolutely think about like 2001 when yeah. the powers went down september it, 12th yeah it was everyone was united i mean we went from george bush doesn't care about black people to him throwing out the greatest first pitch of all time right and it's like it's just it's crazy how that all intersects with each other but yeah in a weird way this has brought a lot of people together, except for the gas price situation we got. So I, I have uh, two questions for you, Daniel, <laughs> and they both have to do with uh, the president of the United States. The first question is, and you can answer them together. The first question is, do presidents control the gas prices in any way, shape or form? <laughs> do how <laughs> and, and on, a, on a more serious note, what? How do you feel like, uh, you know, the president is handling uh, the current situation you know, globally and domestically? So the first question, uh, you're, you're setting me up with a softball there. Uh, <laughs> so the I'll make it a little I'll make it a little more complicated just to try to tease it out a bit. So the short answer, of course, is no. The president doesn't control the gas price. So he doesn't wake up every morning and say, I think the average price of gas should be this much. Um but, you know, there's things a president can do either directly or indirectly that can affect the price of gas. Uh, you know, uh, some some folks, certainly a lot of folks in the Republican Party and even some of the Democratic Party and more maybe red parts of the country are encouraging the president to open up more uh, leasing for oil drilling and natural gas production, uh, whether it's off the coast or somewhere else in the United States. And you know, even temporarily, that could potentially ease the price of gas. Uh, there's been calls to, you know, have Congress suspend or at least delay or decrease the federal gas gas tax that takes effect. And that could potentially take the pressure off in some capacity. Of course, there's trade-offs with that, right? That's less money going in for energy uh, sustainability and, and protection. Um, so there's always something the president could do to, to affect it. Um, but yeah, I don't think the president gets up every morning and says, you know, it'd be great for people as if they're paying $4 a gallon. I'm actually going to, I'm going to do this this morning. Uh, so that is that, is that satisfactory? Is that satisfactory to you guys? That's a satisfactory all I'm, I'm going to say is that Twitter is a wild place. 
That's, <laughs> that's an evergreen statement, Devrin. Evergreen yeah. statement. Um, the second question, uh, I think, largely depends on your the, the lens through which you view the political system. So, folks who either voted for Joe Biden and his more, you know, temperate or otherwise just kind of milk toast view of, you know, a political approach, just kind of, you know, folksy and he, he campaigned on a return to normalcy, so to speak. They're going to see this, this, uh, these last few weeks as steady, uh, calm, you know, very careful leadership. Uh, being careful not to make mistakes, being careful that you're kind of got your ducks in a row. Um, I think, obviously, if you didn't vote for Joe Biden, you're going to see a lot of missteps in the things that he's done, whether it's, uh, you know, at first signaling, uh, you know, maybe the, the United States, the United States' uh, commitment to, uh, you know, weaponry and, and, and soldiers in that region. Do we need to clarify some of that language for our allies? Um, and certainly in terms of energy, there's been some miscommunications and misstatements from out of the White House there. I think the actual answer is he's, he's certainly more predictable as a president than Donald Trump was. And I think that's largely in this particular moment, probably a good thing. Uh, so I don't, I don't buy the whole, if Donald Trump was president, Vladimir Putin wouldn't have, wouldn't have invaded Ukraine. Uh, but I, I think in general, especially, I think it comes back to being an election year, man, people are always going to be looking for reasons to be frustrated with the incumbent president and, and his party. And this is just not making it easier for him to get people to trust him. Right. No, no, not at all. Daniel, can we get somebody that's not in their 70s to run for president next time? I don't know, man. There's a lot of senators right now in their late 80s who are going to run for re-election for another six-year term. So, And, of course, I keep going back. Jimmy Carter has a term left. He has a term of eligibility left. <laughs> so let, let's, let's just get on it. I, don't, I would love to. Um, I would love that. I don't know why we do this to ourselves. I, yeah, I don't want to be like the ageism guy, but it just doesn't seem i just don't i just don't want to see it it was i I remember seeing like a meme it was like donald trump posted something on twitter about joe biden being old it's like but man you're you know you're you're in your 70s too he's four years younger yeah you know yeah it's crazy to think you know we went from and it seemed like a pretty pretty drastic step too because obama was elected he was a pretty young man yeah relatively and one of the younger presidents we've had, and now to go from two straight presidents in their 70s and Donald Trump's looking like the most likely candidate for Republicans in 2024 is 78 years old. Joe Biden would be 82. Are you serious? You think he's going to run again? Oh, I don't know. I'm saying like if he did, if he did run, he'd probably have the best chance of winning. Like He's still doing um, rallies. Like I, I was just watching videos of his rallies before we got on here. Yeah. I don't know what Easy. to make of that, though. Like, is it just an attention thing? Is it just trying to keep his name out? Um I don't know. It wouldn't surprise me if he ran. But then again, we have a 78-year-old running against an 82-year-old at that point, assuming Joe Biden decides to run. So I don't I don't How come we can't get people to agree that January 6th was a terrible day? It's weird, right? It's one of those things that we should be able to say, hey, you know, when you have people breaking into the Capitol, it's objectively not good. Uh, and, you know, you're, you're, they're 
attacking police officers and, you know, storming these Senate, these constitutional functions. Um, but yeah, I think we just, we've become so prone to view things through the lens of partisanship that if you say that January 6th was bad, you either have to, if you're on the, if you're on the Republican side of things, the conservative side, you have to qualify it, but either, yeah, but look at all the rioting that took place in the cities in, in, in 2020, and that was bad too. Why isn't the media covering that? Well, first of all, there's, I think there's a giant difference uh, when you're attacking the seat of government. Um, but also uh, there's a tendency to defend, right? To say, well, maybe it wasn't as bad as it seemed. Um, in fact, could this have been prevented if, if uh, you know, maybe, maybe this was instigated by FBI agents trying to infiltrate the crowd. I mean, we're getting into conspiracy land, but yeah, I don't know. I, I keep thinking, what happens if 9-11 happened today instead of January or instead of, instead of 2001? Is, is the reaction, like Dave said, this, this unity moment? Or do we immediately pivot to, I can't believe the president let that happen? Or, yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, because in all these times, there was no foreign bad guy. Like, if it's internal bad guy like we can't agree that this person was a bad person. Like mm-hmm. we could even go like revisionist history and look at some of, you know, some really foul people throughout history. Right. And we will we'll just say, well, but he did good things too. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, I always bring up this example and I'm for the record, I don't think Abraham Lincoln was totally awful, but I think some, some of his ideas were awful. And so one of the ideas that he didn't really know what to do with slaves once he freed them, and once the war was over, he had an idea to go back to send them back to Africa. And I tell people that they're like, "Well, but the slaves, you know, he black people are free because of him." I was like, "Well, I mean, can we just agree that this was a bad idea?" We, right. Intern, like, even no matter what happens, an internal bad guy is never like we always defend mm-hmm. the internal internal bad guy and praise and critique the external one especially when you have that connection to a political party or identity, right? When Donald Trump is, you know, at the rally a few hours earlier, you know, saying we got to stand up for this. And I, I'm not, I'm not going to say that. I think that, I think the, the protest was fomenting, you know, before he got up and gave his little speech, but, um, but that connection there just makes it so much harder for a lot of, you know, Republicans to formally denounce it. Right. It's always like, yeah, this was bad, but, um if, if he runs in 2024 people are gonna get behind him i mean think about like how old is your oldest son right now he's uh, gonna be 10 next month so when he's in college let's say 10 years from now and they look back at what happened on, on those days i i mean i don't think there's a good way to paint that that day and even the end of that presidency no no, no. <laughs> I mean, and if you look at the in the well, and the, the funny thing is, in the aftermath, like the immediate aftermath, most Republican officials, you know, at least the ones who you know are in positions of power, were really aghast about what happened. Right? Mitch McConnell gave a whole statement about it, how it was horrendous. Kevin McCarthy, the House Republican leader, who has now kind of walked these statements back, saying how you know Donald Trump really instigated all this and it was a real real problem. Uh, but after a few weeks, right, it just kind of, we reverted back to defensive mode. If you're a Republican or conservative to say, well, we have to, 
you know, we're, we're going to maybe, we're going to maybe acknowledge this, but try to pivot almost. Yeah, it's like saving we things on the whole. We don't need to be talking about this anymore. Yeah. Right. We need to be talking about this other stuff. That's more important. Right. Uh, yeah. That's a, tr- that's troubling. It's, I think, I think it just speaks so heavily. Like that one event is like a microcosm of the society as a whole. It's like, we, we can't be even united on something we all saw. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, like it, because of social media, everyone saw it. it. Even if you don't watch the news, it doesn't matter what outlet you were looking at. If you turn off the audio, everyone saw the same things. And it's just like, no matter, you know, how you slice it, like, it's a travesty like it's it's a complete like absurd event that shouldn't have never happened my buddy called me that day he said turn to the news i said which channel he said any of them yeah (laughs) and i just like oh my goodness i thought it was a movie i thought it was like a preview for a movie yeah i mean it's just it's crazy to think that you know that that happened on on american soil by americans you know it's just it's so insane. And then we then we currently now are on the outside looking in at a place like Ukraine, where literally it doesn't matter who you are, what you look like, like there are people like coming after you because of the country that you're in bombing, you know, everything, you know, maternity wards, uh, you know, government buildings, schools, wherever houses, it doesn't matter wherever you are, like, you're, like they're coming for you. And, you know, me and Devon were talking, you know, the other day, just a little bit about, you know, people watching people leave the country. I mean, it's just crazy to see people trying to board trains and just get out. It reminds me of Afghanistan last year when, you know, they were holding on to the stinking planes to, you know, get out and watch them fall to their death. I mean, like, it's just crazy to me. Yeah. It does. And I think this is the the fact that social media allows for a lot of these videos and pictures to instantly be transmitted around the world really puts a lot of this stuff in a different perspective. I also think there's a really interesting, uh, maybe, I don't know if it's an ethnic component or a racial component to it, um, but we've seen conflicts before, right? We've seen wars uh, in, in you know African countries or in Middle Eastern countries. But for a lot of Americans, this is really the first time, at least on social media, that we're seeing these videos and pictures of people and neighborhoods that really look a lot like stuff that you would see in the United States, where a lot of white people, a lot of, you know, industrialized areas, you know, buildings, apartments, stores, stuff like that. But frankly, if you're looking at footage in Somalia or something, you can't really connect with that as much, right? Um, So there's that underlying current, too. Uh, that hey, you said what I was thinking, but we were all thinking it, Dan. Just okay, said it. okay, I'll just say it. I'll just say it. Yeah, you know, you said it, and we're just gonna go with it. now. Anybody who comments and sends me messages about CRT, look, the professor said it. That's higher education for you. <laughs> oh, no, but I mean, hey, hey yeah, but be careful yeah. because listen, there's people out there that would rather send their kids to prison than uh, college these days, apparently. Yeah. I know. No, but it, but but it is an interesting it is an interesting observation, and and I, I think the fact that uh, that we're seeing this all on social media, we can bypass the traditional outlets. It does cause a sense of dissonance to say, well, it's tragic anyway. No matter you know 
who who is vic, you know who's falling victim to these atrocities. But uh, it is and it maybe even take out the racial or ethnic components, right? But the, but it looks like your town in many respects. Like yeah. there's, there's sidewalks and buildings and, and paved roads and, and things like that. So I think for a lot of folks in the West, not just in the United States. Um, it is something that we haven't seen really before in this in this era. Take the refugees, like the yeah, the yeah. I mean, all of a sudden, refugees are they're in, and and mm-hmm. you know we've, right. we've been talking about this for years, but now oh, yeah. refugees, now it's a big deal. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. And, and and this is a good time, and I think this is where the church can be really, really consistent on these. You know, there's I think when we look at refugee resettlement, at least in our area, in Northwest Arkansas, a lot of the, and I'm sure it's in Kentucky as well. A lot of the groups leading the charge are tend to be churches and, and, and Christian communities saying, we're yeah. going to, even if the government doesn't technically support this, you saw this in Georgia and Texas over the last few years with refugees coming in from other uh, Middle Eastern countries or something. Um, that's where the church can really, really show the world, you know, who we are. And uh, hopefully we do the same kind of thing now uh, I haven't heard anything about numbers of, of Ukrainian refugees coming into the United States. I think it's pretty early for that, but, but yeah, let's welcome them, you yeah. know, do what we can. Absolutely. I was actually just telling Devon last weekend that uh, our church through an organization is, is sponsoring and really helping kind of integrate a family from Afghanistan uh, hmm. into, into the Louisville area, which has been super cool. We had the opportunity yeah. uh, to go to a park and play cricket with them uh, last weekend. It was phenomenal. And you played cricket? No, no I watched. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. No, nah, we don't. Nah. My athleticism is sidelined these days. Um, I see. But it was cool, man, because like they, none of us spoke the same language, and but we all smiled and laughed and uh, made fun of you know all of us that couldn't play. Uh, it was hilarious. I have video of some of my uh, my fellow church members, and it was uh, it was eventful for sure, no doubt, to say the least. But it was fun and it was cool. And man, it, to me, it just like hit me. Like, man, we're seeing this like in real time right now, and uh, how we can we can love others. And I'm always grateful for that perspective uh, from from you, Dan. Um, you know that you, you just you're seeing things from you know this this worldview that. A lot of us don't have, you know, from from a Christian, you know, perspective that is really in the mix with this stuff, you know, teaching it every day. So we appreciate that. Well, we don't have too much time left um, and to, to switch gears kind of on a much lighter note. Dude, what did the Trailblazers do this year? Why did they they blew this thing up? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you're, if you're a follower of the team, like, like I am, I, I was born into it. Uh, you know, this was a, this was a, a decision to blow it up. That was several years in the making. Uh, Neil Olshay, the old GM, he had a really terrible reputation with the fans for holding on to his, uh, you know, the roster that he kind of built, even though it was pretty clear that it wasn't really ever going to contend to get to, to get to the finals. Uh, when they when they went to the Western Conference Finals in 2019, uh, yeah, they were missing they were missing Nurkic and you know I think they were missing another player, but they just got you know blown away by Golden State without KD, um, and so it was painful. But uh, I think it was the right move to trade CJ when they did. Um, he's playing he's been playing well in New Orleans. I really like him. I think he's a great player. 
Devrin has had some experience with CJ McCollum. I know. Uh, <laughs> so I have. Uh, yeah, he, he gave us both. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So as a Blazers fan, we weren't going to win it. We weren't going to contend with this roster. Um, I was I was all for kind of blowing it up a bit, trying to get some assets. I was a little disappointed. I love Nurkic. I was a little disappointed they didn't try to trade Nurkic as well um, to try to get you know another draft pick or two. Uh, I love Anthony Simons. I think he's going to be a star. Um, he's just got, he's got that body that looks like he's, he's where the league is and where it's headed. Um, so I, I like him a lot. Josh Hart's been playing out of his mind, uh, since he's come to Portland 40 last night. Yeah, no, he's great. He was out of, he was out of control. Um, so I don't know. I, I like the fact that we're building around Dane with, with younger pieces and, uh, we weren't going to win before, so we may not win now, but at least we have a chance to rebuild and, and see what happens. For sure. Well, Dan, we have two minutes left, brother. Anything that you want to leave Dave and Dev and the good people that listen to this show with? Yeah, you know, I think uh, just to leave it on a more optimistic note, uh, and it's not supposed to be a naive, uh, not naive thing, but, you know, as, as, as Christians, we know that we can take heart that uh, the Lord has overcome the world and all of the devastation that we see in the wake of sin Amen. and uh, tragedies and, and, and difficulties. It doesn't take anything away from just the horrendous things that we're seeing in Ukraine and, you know, around the world with, with COVID and things like that. But Christians have a part to play in this. We can be uh, helpful to others. We can encourage. And personally, we, we can have that hope that, you know, in spite of the, in spite of the sufferings that we see here, it, it's going to pale to what we see, uh, see next when uh, the kingdom does come and, and we can uh, just rejoice in that truth. So I would leave that by way of encouragement to say, remember, Jesus said, take heart. I've overcome the world. Let's, let's remember that. Mm. he started preaching a little bit well, what a way to a little bit. <laughs> thank you for being uh back with us man we always enjoy talking to you devon appreciate you man until next time peace peace thanks dan thanks guys